Hello and welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast. This week we're reading Isaiah chapters 1 through 12. For the next five weeks, we will be studying the book of Isaiah. Now I know you're probably asking, why so much Isaiah? Well, I hope you'll see after today why it's so important for us to understand and know the teachings of Isaiah. Because he saw our day and prophesied for us. Isaiah is quoted by other prophets more than any other prophet. Nephi copied chapter after chapter for us in the Book of Mormon, right from the words of Isaiah. Jesus quoted him often. In fact, Jesus started his ministry by quoting from Isaiah. As you recall, he went to the synagogue in Nazareth and opened the book of Isaiah to preach. He read his own prophecy written by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61, then stated as he closed the book, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and all wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Here are some interesting facts to know about Isaiah. The book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible as a whole has 66 books. Coincidence? Maybe. But here is where it gets really interesting. There are two parts to the book of Isaiah. Chapters 1 through 39 are considered by scholars to be the condemnation chapters. It's the laws, lots of prophesying about destruction. Then in chapters 40 through 66, the writings seem to change. The tone is different. The message is more about grace and love. Some believe it was a totally different writer, which we know is not true, but it is noticeably different. Why this is significant is because the Old Testament has 39 books, and the New Testament has 27 books, matching perfectly the pattern in the book of Isaiah. More importantly, the name Isaiah in Hebrew means, Salvation is of the Lord which is significant because Isaiah has more direct prophecy about the Savior Jesus Christ and specifics on his earthly ministry more than any other prophet. He is the only prophet to reveal through revelation that Jesus is to be born of a virgin. So let's dive in and see what marvelous gems we can find in the writings of Isaiah. We begin in chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jothram, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. This verse tells us quite a bit. Isaiah's ministry lasted a very long time. Through four kings, well, actually five, because it's mentioned that there is one more king, one of the most wicked kings in all the Bible, King Manasseh, is the one that actually has Isaiah killed. More than 50 years of ministering by the prophet Isaiah. He goes on to describe in the next few verses about the current standing of the children of Israel in the eyes of the Lord. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the donkey his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, the people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they have gone away backward. 
Israel is not in a good place. The twelve tribes are split into two kingdoms, and as is their pattern, have fallen back into idol worship, and more specifically, heartless worship. What I mean by that is they are going through the motions, but their hearts are not in it. Verse 11 through 15 says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he-goats. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me, and I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will hear not. Your hands are full of blood. Now this is kind of confusing, because this is their culture. This is how they worshipped and sacrificed. They brought goats and sheep to sacrifice on the altars of the temple. And here God's saying, enough. Don't do it anymore. Why? It's not that he doesn't want them to do these things, but he wants them to do them for the right reason. They were just going through the motions because it's what they always did and had to do. But they were Sunday-only worshipers. Come Monday, no one could tell that they were a God-fearing people. And God is fed up with it. He says no more. Stop your faithless sacrifices, your empty prayers. Now, why is this significant for us? Because Isaiah's prophecies are both near and far-sighted, meaning that when he is speaking to the children of Israel, he is also speaking to us. Do we have Sunday-only Christians today? I can assume that if you're listening to this podcast that you're probably not this kind of person. However, we most likely know people like this or we can fall into phases of our life that would resemble this type of attitude towards God and his gospel. But if it wasn't clear enough, Isaiah goes on, How is the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murders. Thy silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water. The princes are rebellious and companion of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts, and followeth after reward. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. The more we read the prophetic visions of Isaiah, the more it starts to look like our day. You can be sure that what we see happening in the world around us right now is the same situation that Isaiah saw in his day. And the Lord spoke to us through him, to warn the children of Israel and us that bad things will happen to those who remain hard-hearted. And this is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent and come unto him. Isaiah puts it beautifully in verse 16 through 20. Wash you, he says. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. 
Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. What beautiful poetry! Verse 18 is one you may have heard before. I love the analogy of being cleansed and feeling white as snow from a state of sinful redness. What imagery that we have all experienced before, the pure whiteness that comes from forgiveness and remission of your sins. This really is the best way to describe God's desire to have us return to him. But there is an element that I believe is commonly misunderstood. No one will go to hell because of their sins. No need to rewind, I'll say it again. No one will go to hell, what the world views as hell, because of their personal sins. Now that I have your attention, please let me explain. Every single one of your sins has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's some proof. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 5.22 For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. John 1.29 John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming to him, said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep having gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Alma 34, 8. And now, behold, I will testify unto you of myself that these things are true. Behold, I say unto you, that I do know that Christ will come among the children of men, and take upon him the transgressions of his people, and that he shall atone for the sins of the world, for the Lord God hath spoken it. Shall I go on? Okay, how about one more? John fifteen thirteen, Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. The message is clear. Christ paid for all of your sins and my sins. Only those that refuse to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior will find themselves alone and weighed down by the burdens of guilt and sin. Only those who refuse to acknowledge his great eternal sacrifice will be left void of his Holy Spirit. His grace is all that we need. His love is all that we need to sustain us in life. His hands are the only ones we should seek. Brad Wilcox put it this way, Satan doesn't win when he can get us to cross the line, but when he convinces us that there's no way back.
I join my testimony with that of Nephi's. Wherefore, redemption comes in and through the Holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin, to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.